Right now, we're going to spend a few more minutes talking about the international news scene. Uh, Of course, a lot of news coming out of Europe this week. We had not only the G7 summit, but we also had a NATO summit that took place. And it's the first time that all these world leaders have gathered in one location in a very long time, of course, due to COVID. And... um, Let's just get the the lay of the land. What happened? What was the focus? And and how did our prime minister um, manage to carry himself in these very, very important international meetings? Joining us now to give us some insight, we have J.C. Boucher, who is an assistant professor at the School of Public Policy at the University of Calgary. J.C., thank you for joining us. appreciate your time. It's a pleasure. You know, I think when we talk about the G7 summit or the NATO summit, goal number one for all those in attendance was more than anything else, to try and establish a bit of normalcy in those groups once again and sort of get things stabilized after a pretty tumultuous time over the last four or five years. Right. I mean, this was a kind of like important moment and and for several reasons. You're right. This is this was the kind of first time that they actually had a, a per, in-person meeting. And, and, and this is important. You know, you would say like, oh, you could do this on Zoom and it right. works. But a lot of these meetings, like a lot of the action actually happens, you know, on, on the sidelines and at the margins of it, you know, at the dinners and the hallway conversations. And this is where kind of world leaders lubricate their relationship and kind of get get like mini conversations going uh, in a much more kind of informal way. Uh, and this is what Zoom can't really do, right? You can't do the networking. You can't get the kind of conversation. So that was important. The second part was also, this was the first time the Biden administration was having these uh, these kinds of like summit. And, and so it was important for the Americans to kind of, kind of convey the message that like the, the, Trump era was over and that they were moving forward and they had to establish kind of the lay of the land of what uh, like a new U.S. administration would look like. Yeah, and that was a lot of the discussion was centered around there, you know, Joe Biden talking about Article 5 and and, and other things like that, sort of reaffirming the U.S. position with NATO. Um, Let's go back to the G7 summit first, though. Um, The main topics of discussion there were, seemed to be, of course, the pandemic. Uh, that was the big one, getting uh, vaccines delivered. Um, but there was a lot of talk of well, as well about Russia and China. Uh, that seemed to be a focus. So did they advance that at all? I mean, the the final statement that they always put out wasn't as um, aggressive as some thought it might be. No, I mean, this was a summit that was organized by uh, the U.K., so they were usually like the, the the country that organizes the summit is actually the one kind of pushing the agenda and building the agenda. Um, and, and it seems like they had like kind of a couple of priorities. The first one is kind of, you know, how to bring back like normalcy and, and, and bolster economic growth after the pandemic. And that was something that was important. The other part was kind of interesting was a focus that the Americans had, but also the UK and Canada on, you know, open society and how to push back and, and, and express kind of the values of, of Western countries. And that was kind of an interesting take on, on the G7, where they, they kind of reasserted that the values that we had should be defended and, and essentially kind of sending a message to, to the, you know, Russia and China and other, and other countries to say, well, you know, the Western countries are, are reunited again. We're going to focus on our values. We're going to push and make these a priority. And, um, and we want the rest of the world to kind of know that this is what we're going to do. And it's going to take that unified front. Yeah, in order to advance that, right? I mean, in order to have the kind of weight needed to to respond to China, you need that unified front. 
sure. I mean, the Trump years were rough. And the Trump years, you, you really had like this sense of uh, like American retrenchment and, and essentially kind of uh, like American foreign policy, less interested in, in kind of engaging with like-minded countries. And this is like, remember, this is the point where, you know, in the end, we felt as if like Canada with Germany and maybe France were the only countries talking about values and yeah. rule-based order and democracy. And and for sure, when the Americans, like that the G7 kind of reaffirms the Americans' focus on we want to make democracy at home and democracy abroad kind of a, a, a like a, a, a foreign policy priority of not only the U.S., but also of all the other Western countries. And then, of course, they moved to the NATO summit, uh, you know, yesterday and today. And uh, again, much of the discussion was, again, you know, in terms of this alliance that's been around for so long, sort of remaining strong and being united. Because as we know, Donald Trump called NATO obsolete and threatened to pull out and was always talking about people owed money and things like that. Joe Biden went back in to say, no, the U.S. is here. We're committed to NATO. We're committed to Article 5. We see that as sacred. So sort of just once again, solidifying NATO's position in all of this, right? You're right. I mean, I mean, Donald Trump thought that NATO was a protection racket where people would pay the United States to protect them right. uh, and didn't really see the kind of alliance part of it. Uh, and for sure, that was kind of the, the, the Joe Biden administration kind of big moment where they said, you know, we want to reaffirm the U.S. engagement and, and commitment to to NATO and to the kind of collective security apparatus that NATO was is focusing on. And that was, I mean, that, that was not really a message for Canada more so than a message for like the Baltic states and uh, in the Eastern European allies that are within NATO uh, to say like, you know, Russian aggression now will be met with at least a little bit more support from the U.S. administration. And that was kind of the big moment. Right now, Biden is meeting um, Vladimir Putin. So, so there's the assumption that he's going to reaffirm this commitment. The, the interesting, the second interesting part was also that was the first time that China was actually identified as one of the major security threats uh, within like NATO countries, and that right. was kind of weird because it, it's like the first time that that uh, NATO ever done this. And and in the grand scheme of things, you can see how the Americans were pushing for China to be like taken more seriously on um, on the NATO part. And in the, in the grand scheme of things, like the NATO countries have, you, uh, have considered China more like a, like a, an opportunity. And there's, there's at least like the census within NATO countries on what China is about the the Germans and the, and the French are much less interested in thinking about China as an adversary and the Americans want all their allies to kind of focus on the Asian pivot and kind of reemphasize the need to have a more unified front against Chinese um, security threats. As you might expect, you know, the leaders of the larger countries, Biden, we've talked a lot about Boris Johnson made a lot of noise early on as he was the host of the summit. How did Trudeau um, fit into this whole thing? We didn't hear a lot of news out of the Canadian frontier, sort of just going along with what the other people were saying. What do you think about Trudeau's performance this week? I think it was low key. Um, in the grand scheme of things, uh, I think you're right. I think a lot of the things that the G7 and NATO country, uh, summit kind of said fit well within Canadian kind of foreign policy and the Trudeau foreign policy, you know, reassertion around values, 
focus on democracy, rule of law. And those were the kinds of things that the Canadians have done for the last seven years. What's different right now is that because the Americans are kind of back in the game, uh, now everybody are interested to talk to the Americans. And, and somehow it seems like it, it like, you know, the, the, like the, the size of the Biden administration um, kind of, you know, overshadowed the Canadian part. In the grand scheme of things, we're, we're a small player into mm-hmm. that conversation. And, and a lot of the things that we saw fit pretty well with what we wanted to do for the last five years. So it wasn't as if that was kind of a, a different take that the Canadians could take. Now, I know that there's been calls for the U.S. to help Canada out on a couple of issues. The two Michaels. Um, there's also a Canadian being held in a Russian prison. Um, do, do, do we expect any movement on that? I mean, we, we think a lot about it here, but I think on the world stage, a lot of those issues are sort of not really as important to, say, Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin as, and, as we may think they are. Oh, that's a good question. So, so in the, a lot of the Canadian diplomacy has been trying to get our allies to, to show a united front. Yeah. And in some respect, we were lucky enough to have the Australians and, and like Netherlands and other European countries to kind of show support, especially on the two Michael front. Um, the Americans were hot and cold. They're still hot and cold. Um, and, and the Americans are considering this within like a broader kind of view of managing their relationship with China. Um, in the grand scheme of things, there's a possibility, or at least because the, 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 the Biden administration and Trudeau administration kind of share affinities and ideological slant, it, it's easier for us to make the case to the Americans that they should spend, you know, like cap, like political capital to, to solve this issue. Yeah. But, but it's always going to be, you know, on the back burner to American interests and, and to other countries' interests. And that's where it's really difficult for Canada to kind of convince the other countries to, to sacrifice some of their good relationship with China to, to promote this. The good news is that because the Americans now are a lot more assertive in their Chinese relations, we might get somewhat an assumption that the Chinese will back off a little bit. Right now, for example, there's echoes and chatter in the Chinese diplomatic front that, you know, the long, the, the lone wolf approach is actually not working that well. And that having, you know, Chinese diplomats criticize and attack Western countries is not necessarily a good strategy. And they should kind of maybe try to find a way to, to ease relations with Western countries because now they're, they're, essentially fighting or, or facing a united right. group. And that might be good for Canada, where China w- might want to kind of, you know, like tick off, like, you know, like points of contention or, or abrasive, you know, like, like relationships. And maybe we'll get as, as an externality of the Americans pushing back on China, kind of the, the two Michael uh, problem being solved for Canada. Yeah, and that not was as a direct Trudeau. way. Yeah, and that was Trudeau's message. You know, China's not serving their own interests by doing things like this. So, uh, yeah. you're absolutely right. Uh, JC, thank you so much for the insight. I really appreciate your time this morning. It was my pleasure. Um, good chat, JC Boucher, who is an assistant professor at the School of Public Policy and at the University of Calgary.